In my seven years as a seminarian and three as a priest, I have sat on a lot of parish councils and committees. And one of the recurrent activities in these meeting groups is the writing of a mission statement. Every five years or so, it seems we need a new mission statement. In actuality, this is actually a pretty useful exercise. It helps a group of people decide why they exist and what they want to do. It gets everyone on the same page so that they can build on a common foundation and move forward from there. The debates that happen while writing a mission statement are instructive and deal with profound and impactful questions that really matter. Still, as much as I respect the benefits that can be achieved from this process, in the last two years I have really begun to push back against the idea that a parish needs a mission statement. Smaller groups or ministries, sure, they have to know where they fit within the larger parish structure, but never the parish itself. The reason is because the parish and the church as a whole has already been given a mission statement, given directly by Jesus himself. And it is our gospel today. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his apostles exactly what the church is supposed to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, what more do we need? The Lord himself has written our mission statement, and it is impossible to improve upon it. Let's go through it, word by word. First, we have go. In the Greek, this is actually a participle, better translated as going, meaning it is less of a command and more of a description that is taken for granted as true. In other words, the Lord just assumes, he just expects, that his church will always be moving and reaching outside of itself. This is why Pope Francis is so fond of saying that a church turned in on itself is sick. When the church is healthy, she looks outward. Next, we have make disciples of all nations. Grammatically, this is the core and focus of the mission statement. Here is the actual imperative command of the Lord, the thing he is telling us to do. Make disciples of all nations. To understand it, we first have to understand what a disciple is. A disciple is one who follows and learns from a master. But more than just a teacher-student relationship, a disciple learns experientially by following the master and watching the master. A disciple lives the life 
of the master. And in this imitation, learns the lessons that the master has to teach. Our job as the Church of Jesus Christ is to convince the entire world to follow, learn from, and imitate our master, Jesus. But again, to do so means so much more than just listening. It means walking alongside of and imitating Jesus. We have to leave everything else behind so that we can follow him wherever he goes. And only once we ourselves have done this can we convince others to do the same. Next, Jesus mentions baptism, using here the full Trinitarian formula, an important moment in the New Testament. Again, we are dealing with a participle, baptizing, which serves as a dependent clause, describing and explaining what it means to make disciples. And what is the relationship between discipleship and baptism? Why does making disciples require baptism? The kind of discipleship that Jesus requires from us does not allow us to sample a little bit of his teaching here and another prophet's teaching there as though we were making selections from a buffet. To truly learn the lessons of the Master, we have to give him our entire lives, and that irrevocably. It is in baptism that this total life commitment happens. It is one thing to be curious about Jesus, and that's good. But once someone decides to actually follow him as his disciple, they must submit to baptism to seal the deal. Now, of course, we might ask about the practice of infant baptism. If a family is already following Jesus as disciples, if they have already given their entire lives over to him and are trying their best to imitate the master, then the child will be raised in a household where that child is already living in imitation of the master. It doesn't make sense for the rest of the family to have decided to live as disciples and for this child, who will be living as a disciple, not to be baptized. Finally, Jesus tells his apostles, and therefore his church, to teach the nations all that he has commanded them. Again, a participle. Again, expanding on the idea of discipleship. Why must the church teach in order to make disciples? Why must it be the church? It is because since Jesus has ascended into heaven, it is very hard to follow him like a disciple would normally follow a master, with all of the observations and experiences that convey the wisdom of the master. As such, Jesus gives us his church. In order to walk alongside Jesus, to observe Jesus, to learn from Jesus, we can and must walk alongside the church, to observe the church, 
to learn from the church. The church, the people of God, the body of Christ, is the privileged means by which one is able to know and follow the Lord. Of course, this means that the church must continually strive to live so much like Jesus that it becomes obvious that following the church is, in fact, following the Lord. Here we have failed again and again over the centuries. And yet, the Lord continues to desire that people follow him through his church. He never gave us another option. And this commandment to teach remains the mission of the church given to her by the Lord. Now, before this shutdown, I preached an entire homily series on the Mass. In addition, Vatican II refers to the Eucharistic sacrifice as the source and summit of our faith. In addition, in a few weeks, we will read a letter from Archbishop Aachen about the Eucharist, declaring a year of the Eucharist for the Archdiocese. So we would be justified in wondering where exactly the Eucharist fits into this mission statement of the Church. Look at the verses before and after the verses we just analyzed. Jesus says, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Mass is the great act of worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The worship of the one who has been given all power in heaven and on earth. Worship doesn't make sense unless we're worshiping an omnipotent deity. And Jesus here declares his omnipotence. The Mass is where we renew our belief that Jesus is the omnipotent Lord who is worthy of our discipleship, and where we renew our commitment to give him our entire lives. And then, of course, the Lord remains with us in his Eucharistic presence. He is certainly with us until the end of the age in many ways, including his word and his body, the church. But no presence is more poignant than his presence in the host and the chalice, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. If we are going to go out and make disciples of all nations, we need the Mass. We need this constant reminder that Jesus is worth it and that he is with us. The Mass is the source of of our many efforts in making disciples and the summit to which these efforts ultimately bring us. My friends, many of us spend much of our lives wondering what the Lord is asking of us. What are we supposed to do? I am here to tell you that the answer to that question is not actually a mystery. It was the last thing he told us before ascending into heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In our families, our workplaces, and our communities, these are our marching orders. Let's get to it.